Frank, I know you have a question that follows up on one of Eric's, so please go ahead. Thank you, Donna. Hi, Tom. Yeah, now, of course, my ego is triggered, and I also want to try to get the thumbs up, so let's see if I manage. <laughs> but, uh, um, so my question is, is linked to that, but I gather... So it's more about intelligence, intelligence of IOCs, and I, I understand that intelligence is not only linked to the intellectual level, but the being level also has access to one's intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. But now I was wondering, uh, do IUOCs have different levels of intelligence? And if so, by what is their intelligence constrained in NPMR? What does it depend on? And does it evolve together with an IUOC's being level quality? So it, because growth is all about... Uh, being level growth and uh, but but what about the intelligence so in pmr one's intelligence seems to be constrained by what the avatar can support but i guess that is not necessarily a correlated with the iooc's intelligence so for example an iooc playing in its current pmr experience packet a person with a mental disability will still have a similar level of intelligence as other IUOCs playing <laughs> humans. It is simply facing tighter constraints this time round. Mm -hmm. And then that would also be, the, the question would also apply, what about IUOCs playing animals? Um, <coughs> do they have different levels of intelligence than IUOCs playing humans? And then again, are there totally other categories of IUOCs that are even much more intelligent? So, how, yeah, if you could... Uh, Elaborate a bit on that. Okay. Well, you hear people talk about intelligence, and intelligence is, is hard to define. So we have things called emotional intelligence, you know, as opposed to intellectual intelligence. Uh, you are correct in your, in your assumptions. They were, they're all right. The IUOC or the consciousness is not limited by its avatar, what it can do in the consciousness world. It's only limited what it can do in PMR, because everything it does in PMR has to be according to the constraints of the rule set for the avatar. So yes, uh, consciousness is not retarded if the, <laughs> if the avatar is retarded. So now intelligence needs to be defined in a holistic way that intelligence isn't just intellectual capacity, intellectual abilities. If it's just intellectual, then your intelligence test will basically be a logic test. You know, it'll be, um, I don't know, you've probably seen these little intelligence tests. They run around the Internet a lot. Most of them are logic tests or sometimes Visual tests, you know, can you take a three-dimensional object and turn it upside down and around and whatever and not get confused about, you know, which ends up? Well, those those kinds of tests are testing your logical capacity. And that's basically all they're doing. So you can have people who are, uh, you know, have IQs of, you know, of 140 or 150, and they may or may not function very well in their society. You know, or maybe say even 160, and they may not function very well in their society. They may be terrible at relationships. They may be terrible at, you know, being able to understand other people. They may not have much empathy. They may be more self-centered. You know, they could have all of those attributes because their intellect is very highly developed doesn't necessarily mean the rest of them is very highly enveloped. So we'll have to decide what's intelligence. You know, what would really constitute a, an overall being intelligence test? It wouldn't just be a logic test, which is basically where we are with defining intelligence because we're all about the, the left brain and doing logic and we don't think there's really anything else to us. So I would define intelligence in a more in a more holistic thing if there's somebody who even if they have the iq of 160 if they have problems with relationships and they don't have empathy 
I would say they're not really very intelligent. They're just good at logic, but it doesn't make them a really intelligent being. So I'd make it a, a holistic thing. That intelligence comes with your capacity to interact successfully in life. And if you're really successful in interacting in your life, which means you can, you know, whatever you do, you can do it well. You can think whether you're an engineer or a janitor, you know, you come up with ideas and, oh, you know, maybe you're a janitor and you decide that it'd be a whole lot more efficient if you did all the floors in both buildings all at once, you know, and then did something else because while you have all that machinery out and whatever, it's better. And, and the way you used to do it is do one whole building with everything and then you do another one and, so even a janitor can use logic to think and do things better, um, decide better equipment that he needs, other processes to go through, the, the ingredients and stuff that he uses. They can come up with creative solutions to problems even at that level. And mm-hmm. if you're an engineer or a physicist or something else, then, you know, you have plenty of places to exercise that, that uh, logical part of your, of your person. So even if we agree there are different categories of intelligence, are they all uh, dependent only on the avatar and on PMR? But in NPMR, like the IOOC, they're, they're mm. all equal in that respect, or uh, are there big differences between well, IOOCs? There are or big differences. There, there are big differences in IOOCs, obviously. But, okay, we talked about the intellectual side and the being level side. So in the intellectual side then the kind of intelligence that's mostly logical, that's kind of a test for that intellectual side. Now, do we have a good test for emotional and spiritual, you know, intelligence? Well, you know, one test might be the quality of your relationships. You know, if you have really good relationships with all the people you interact with, that might be a really good test to see whether or not you have much emotional and, uh, you know, intuitive intelligence. So we have a, you know, when they, when they talk about professors all the time and they say, well, gosh, this, this professor, he's a genius, but he's really a lousy teacher. He can't teach. You know, nobody can understand what he's talking about. He doesn't seem to be able to teach anybody anything, but he's really great at his research. He's a, he's a genius. Well, I would say no, he's very lopsided. He's good at one thing. But he's not generally a genius. When it comes to dealing with people, he seems to be maybe retarded, not a genius. You see, he's not even normal, not even good, not even as good as a normal person walking on the street. He's, he's uh, retarded in his emotional and his intuitive intelligence. You know, people who... Uh, get so wound up in their beliefs that they can't think of any any other thing, whether they're scientists who want to be materialists or whether they're people, you know, wound up about their religion or whatever else. If they're really wound up in the beliefs, then, you know, I'm going to give them low marks on intuitive and and, uh, uh, and interaction intelligence. It's not about people anymore. It's not about each other. It's not about what you can give. It's about just your ideas and your beliefs. They're how, more important than everything in, else. Does it does it really depend only on PMR or also, let's say, in NPMR, like my IOC has 100 intelligence points, and depending on the avatar, they can be distributed as, you know, 70 to the intellectual and 30 to the emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. and next time around it's a bit different, and there are... IUOCs playing yeah, animals yeah. and they have only 50 intelligence points and um, you know I because I imagine that in NPMR from IUOC to IUOC you can also communicate uh, at least at the level that we can do here mm-hmm. intellectually well um, the point the point is Frank is that as you evolve now this is just about consciousness and IUOCs as you evolve and you get rid of fear then All of that interaction, all of the, the, um, I guess what we were calling, you know, intelligence, say in, in the feeling and the intuitive and in the, um, you know, emotions and so on, all of that just develops. It gets better and better. So you get emotional and, and, uh, on that side, on the non-intellectual side, your, your intelligence goes up as your 
IUOC gets rid of fear because getting rid of fear makes you, you know, more balanced. It makes you understand people. It gets you connected. Uh, your relationships are all really good. So the only way to gain what we like, this we'll just call emotional or intuitive, you know, intelligence is to get rid of your fear. As long as you've got fear, then you're going to be self-centered. That's why that brilliant teacher, that brilliant professor can't teach is because he's so self-centered. He doesn't really care about those students. Those students are just an annoyance to him. They're keeping him away from his research, and he doesn't care whether they learn anything or not. Mm. That's why he's such a bad teacher, because he's too self-centered to really care and put a lot of effort in to teaching. You see? So the way you get, you have the, again, you have the intellectual level and the being level. You have the logical side. You have the intuitive side. As you grow up, that intuitive side, that base, who you are, what you are, the, the entropy that you've gained, the entropy that you've lost really for yourself, the amount of quality of your consciousness, that's where all the other intelligence comes from, you know, if it's not intellectual part. All the other part has to do with you growing up. So there is a connection there with consciousness. You don't get that emotional intelligence by acting nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and you really don't get a really good quality of, of uh, relationships with people because you're conning them, because you're, you're acting and you're not being. Well, you, maybe you're less obnoxious to people if you try, you know, and it's out of your intellect, but that's not really growing up. You don't get points for that. You're not. It, you know, the real you comes out in the pinch. The real you rises to the surface. And so just, the way you, so you get intellectual intelligence is what we call intelligence, but it's really just intellectual intelligence. That's how much information you can process and how quick you are with it and how deeply can you process that information. And then there's the intuitive intelligence, if you will. And that's about understanding. That's about being. That's that's represents who you are and the quality of your consciousness. Yeah. So what? So they're I, in, so they're interrelated. Yeah. So so what I w- was mainly trying to to drive at was the the really intellectual intelligence. Is that uh, more or less fixed, or that can grow and vary also? That adapts also to according to your quality of consciousness. It grows and varies because. The two, the two parts, you know, it's really the, a similar conversation that we just had with Eric. Those two parts work together. And when those two parts work together, the, the intellect actually looks a lot smarter when it has an intuitive side working with it because it's got information that it can, that it can use in that intellectual part. So you, you seem a whole lot more, um, you know, a whole lot smarter intellectually when you also are, have integrated in the intuitive side. And yes, you can probably even do those, uh, those logic puzzles better because you have a, you know, a more holistic thing. You have intuition. You don't have to go through all the little steps of, you know, okay, you take this thing and you turn it this way and then rotate it that way and then do something else. Oh, what do you see? You know, those kind of logic tests that let you do that processing. You could just intuitive come up with the answer. Oh, you know, like remote viewing. Huh? You'd see that. You see, well, suddenly now you're going to do real well on those intelligence tests over there because you've got an intuitive side helping you through the process. It's, okay. So, so you do better. You do better on both sides. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's again, we're back to the being, being level intellectual side. And because we tend to value the intellectual side, that's how we define intelligence is how good you are on the intellectual side. How adapt are you at doing things that are intellectual things? And we don't have any tests really that are very precise about how well you've developed on the intuitive side. Like I say, probably the best test is look at a person and see how good their relationships are. You know, how do they deal with people? Because that's where your fear just gets in the road and makes your relationships, you know, gets in front of you, makes your relationships poor. So you get somebody who really gets along well with people and likes people and people like him. They smile. They're happy a lot. Well, that's somebody who has a really nicely developed intuitive side. And it's also somebody who has emotional or intuitive intelligence. 
So the, the consciousness is growing all this stuff. It's growing the capacity to be and the capacity to be intellectual and the capacity to be intuitive all grow together with the, with the intellect, with, with the consciousness's experience and, you know, the choices that they make. So both of those intelligences on both sides, just like the, the intellectual component and the being level component, they both evolve with the quality of consciousness. They both grow. Mm-hmm. And if you have a consciousness that's say uh, consciousness for a, for a dog or a bumblebee, then you have a consciousness that generally just has a lower capacity. It's just a, you know, you, you make IUOCs, they all don't have the same capacity. You know, some of them may have more limited capacities than others. Well, if you had a lot of critters like dogs and cats and anteaters and things evolve before people did, because com- people were some of the later things, because they're more complex. You know, evolution has the more complex things happen later. The simpler things happen earlier. Well, if you start with that and things were conscious, and we know animals are conscious, then the consciousness that was that was uh, playing those animal avatars was a more limited consciousness. And as those consciousness learned and grew and whatever, they got more and more sophisticated and more complex and whatever until uh, they could maybe work a human. Or when the system you know, finally evolved humans, it may have taken human consciousness and done a copy, paste, 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 because those were more appropriate for those kinds of avatars. You know, it may have taken one that had evolved and, and populated the, the people with that more than just, you know, just waiting for each, you know, bumblebee to evolve consciousness that was suitable for a human. It may have just gotten something that was highly, that it did evolve more and just use that to populate the humans because humans required more capacity, more potential in that consciousness. So the, the conscious for the bumblebee isn't like a human consciousness. It's just constrained to being a bumblebee and just terribly bored and frustrated because it can't do anything but, you know, decide, uh, you know, some minor things. It's just a lower capacity consciousness that that's enough for it. That's, that's what it does. And that's all the capacity it really has, but it has the ability to evolve within that capacity. You know, within that capacity, it can get rid of fear and raise its quality as it as it can. So then that can go up through the ranks until eventually it can come out the other side, maybe and, and have a human avatar just because it's leveled up that much. So that's possible, but that's not mainly the process. It's not like everybody here, you know, used to, used to be a bumblebee or an insect. It's not like that. That is too slow. That's a very, very slow process. So it's, it's it's got some that's at a higher level and it's matched to the avatar, you know, the possibilities that the avatar has. So we have a lot of possibilities and we need a consciousness that has more capacity than does the bumblebee. So we're just given that to start with, but then we get to develop it and we can develop it through, you know, raising our quality and then all the intuitive and, and uh, emotional intelligence goes up. And we can also develop it in uh, our abilities to do logic and to see things logically and to be able to, you know, see a problem and disassemble it into its parts, you know, and see that if we make a solution over here in this part, the whole thing will work better. You know, that's part of your logical process, breaking things into pieces and analyzing them and coming up with better processes. And that uh, that's an important part of consciousness as well. Mm-hmm. But they're all tied to just the evolution of consciousness. And both both aspects get better as the consciousness evolves. Capacities go up. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Um, I think you'd be interested in um, Howard Gardner. He's a professor of education at Mm -hmm. Harvard. He came up with a multiple intelligences theory that there are different kinds of theories and that this is very helpful for people who think that intelligence is just high grades and test scores. There are nine different types of intelligences and 
uh, the we are unique in our set of capabilities. So you might you might find that interesting. Okay, too. thank you. Yeah, um, Cheryl, please go ahead with your question. Hello, Tom. Hi, Cheryl. I have one question. Last month, you told me that people make stories up to explain experiences. You then said children do it too with their limited understanding. All of a sudden, I heard, oh my God, what stories did I make up? And just like that, I became anxious and left my avatar. It took me days to calm down and get back in my avatar to try to figure out why I was so jumbled up. I felt like my whole concept of my life in this world just changed in two seconds. And slowly over the next few weeks, I was able to piece everything together. And this is what I found. I don't know how I did this, but I discovered that some of the extremely vivid memories that I have were all time. Wait, wait, wait. Extremely vivid memories I have um, were were when my child brain made up a story which wasn't true. Each vivid memory I had was connected to an experience I had that I didn't understand. I was able to see how my brain just made things up. I had no idea I had any of these beliefs. They were hidden. All the beliefs I found has had terrible consequences on my life. It was these stories that hurt my life more than anything else. Two of the beliefs were, number one, Girls are not allowed to make money. And number two, be afraid of all people. Even nice ones will attack you. These two beliefs made it very difficult for me to have any meaningful connections with people and also made it very difficult to pay my bills, even with the college degree. I went through all of my vivid memories with a fine tooth comb and found about six beliefs that I was able to work on and I guess edit them by dispelling the belief as wrong data then correcting the data and learning that instead, and then processing it. I've been working on this all month, and i tried many angles to try to find more of these fake news stories, but I couldn't find any more. It seems to me that the vivid memory trick was the only approach that helped me find some of them. Can you please speak more about this subject? Maybe talk about how these these vivid memories were exactly what many of these, where many of these stories started. Um, I'm not talking about just like day-to-day memories. These were memories that just seem more real. It, it has color on it and like technicolor. They're just like the most prominent memories I had seemed to all be connected to this um, storytelling fake news thing. My, my uh, The other thing I want to know is, are there other ways of finding these hidden beliefs besides the method that I found? I did try other approaches, but they really didn't work that well. Well, congratulations. That sounds like you made a, a, a leap forward there. Just, uh, oh, God. <laughs> just just under, understanding that, you know, we are full of fear. We're full of ego and we're full of beliefs. That's just the normal, that's just the normal state of most of us walking around on this planet. We're full of fear, we're full of ego and we're full of beliefs. And anything that happens to us anytime in our life and particularly when it happens to us when we're young and have very little experience and very little context for understanding things, we tend to make up a story to justify our feeling because you know, we'll, we'll feel a certain way. We'll make up a story to justify that feeling, and then that story will become our reality. Oh. You know, it's, it, that becomes our reality. And it's not that, you know, <clears throat> it's not that people are, are uh, consciously or, or aware of telling themselves lies. You're not aware of it at all. And mm-hmm. in your own mind, you've created your own reality in many ways and one of the ways you create reality is just by the beliefs that you have because once you make once you have a belief that's no longer in your mind a belief as soon as you grab hold of a belief in your mind that's a fact so you you don't look at you know if you say well i'm going to look at my beliefs and i can't find any 
That's because all the things that are really your beliefs are not to be found under the topic of beliefs. They're all found, they're found under the heading of facts. You see all your beliefs as facts. That's just the way it is. So you go through those things and you can say, yeah, that's a fact and that's a fact. And yeah, my life was like that and people are like that. And then you start acting according to those facts that are really not facts at all. They're just beliefs. And you make up a lot of things, particularly, like I say, when you're young, you see a lot of things, you come to conclusions, you make up a story, and that becomes your reality. So getting rid of that fear gets rid of those beliefs as well as gets rid of those that, that ego. And it all has to go together. So I would, I would say the way to find those, it's, it's just another way of finding your fear, right? Because when you looked at all those beliefs, you had, you found them, then you could trace every one of those to a fear. All of those beliefs were rooted in fear. Right. You see, that's the mm-hmm. com- that, That's what they all had in common. Every one of those beliefs was rooted to a fear somewhere. So if you just look for the fear, you'll get the belief, you'll get the ego, you'll basically get all of it if you find the fear. And where you find the fear is when you have some kind of a a negative attitude. So you had some negative attitudes about maybe, you know, earning money or negative attitudes. You know, you just felt negative about it. Like, that doesn't feel right. Uh That's not right. Well, that's a negative attitude. You feel negative about someone or something or what you're doing or what your options are. Oh, I couldn't do that. That's, That's not a good thing to do or that's not allowable or something else. I couldn't do that. Or you'd be careful of those people because they're, they're all going to get you. You know, they're all dangerous. And <laughs> then you, then you act as if that's true. And when you act that way, then you find out that generally is true because you will do and say and, and you'll do and say and be the things that actually make that happen. So yeah. now your experience confirms your beliefs. <laughs> yes. Right? So then all of your experiences, yeah, I have these beliefs. That's the way reality is, and my experience confirms it. I know it's that way, you see. So it's, it's, really, it's really hard because you then get invested in them. And when you're really invested in them, it's really hard to go back and say, see, I was, I was wrong there. You know, that's not the way it is at all. That's a hard thing to do. And the best way to get started on that path is to realize that fear is at the root of all of that stuff. So as soon as you have some kind of feeling that is not positive, joyful, you know, uh, feeling fulfilled, you know, it's not a good feeling. It's like, uh, no, it doesn't feel good. That, that feels bad to me. Well, then you can question it. Now, maybe it feels bad to you just because it is a bad thing. So it's not everything that makes you feel negative is necessarily a terrible thing you have to get rid of, but you have to look at all those things that, where wow. you feel negative and see, where does that come from? Why do I feel that way? And if you just do it casually, you'll always find something to blame it on. You know, you can, you can say, Oh yeah, that's, that's because so and so people are always nasty and you can come to that, but that's a, you know, when you have those pat solutions, Oh, it's the way some, it's the way other people are. Well, <laughs> you see, that's blaming it on other people. Yeah, other people are always like that. Yeah, well, that's not true. You know, you, you when you think that, you got to look at that and say, oh, wait a minute. All people are not, are not always like anything. You know, people are just individual people. They don't all come along with the same traits. So if I think they all have these same traits, then it's probably more me than it is them. You know, you, you kind of get these little things and you get better at it as you go. But you start looking at the negative. The negatives will take you to do an analysis of why you feel that way. And that then should lead you to the fear. And then you got to work on getting rid of the fear. But uh, I don't know of any easy path that will just take you there, you know, end up with a list of all the things you need to work on, you know, and you know, from the one, the most important to the least, you know, or something like that. You just have to stumble into them. And when you find one, you need to deal with it till you stumble into the next. <laughs> but I, but I do know that if you're aware 
that there probably are problems and beliefs and fears in you and you're aware that it is, that makes it a lot easier and raises the probability that you'll find it. Because when you have the attitude, I don't have any beliefs. I don't have any fears. You know, I've, I've outgrown all that stuff. When you have that attitude, then the probability that you're going to find those fears gets to be smaller and smaller. Oh. So it's important to, you know, just live your life. Be skeptical. And like I always say, the person you have to be most skeptical of is yourself. Yes. <laughs> always. Yes. Because you do create your own reality in many, many ways. Yes. yes. And those those feelings that kind of stand out, like, well, if I can think of the, you know, the 10 most important events that, you know, that uh, influenced my life, if they were things that influenced your life in a negative way, well, be suspicious mm. and see. And are there any beliefs tied up with that? Is there any fear tied up with that? And if there is, then try to get rid of it. doesn't matter really where it came from or why you got to that point. You just need to, once you see it's there, you need to get rid of it. Well, it sounds like you did very well, well Cheryl. Just so, keep up, keep on going. It's, it's yeah. You know, yeah. I thought, well, I, I have been working on my fears and, and I thought beliefs had to do with like things like religion and, you know, you know, famous beliefs. <laughs> yeah. No. I, had no, I had no idea, but yeah, I, there was a lot of work, but I'm, I'm doing it and I'm getting through it. And I just have one thing to say to you, Tom Campbell. I love you more than frog toes <laughs> and rocks. <laughs> well, never had that said to me before. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Ingo, you're next with your question. Yes, uh, hello, Tom. Um, my question is, again, about um, database queries. Um, during practicing queries, like remote viewing, there is sometimes not always a strong feeling that the um, received impressions are correct. It's almost like um, that you don't have to look at the target. You know that this was the right information. And Tom, you always uh, remember to stay skeptical about the information you get. Um, why do I get these feelings of rightness sometimes? And is this then in general more likely to be trustworthy information ah okay the answer to the last question first is it more likely to be trustworthy yes it's more likely to be trustworthy should you have a belief that it's always going to be trustworthy no you should not believe that it's always going to be trustworthy even if you get that feeling um should always stay skeptical but the reason that you're able to do that is because the system is set up so that you have the capacity to learn. You know, it's a it's a schoolhouse. You can't make things that are too hard. Everything has to be learnable. So you get feedback back that gives you that sense of, ah, nailed it, got it, feel good about that one. And right away, you don't know exactly why you got that or where it came from, but you get that when you get the right answer. And then when it doesn't, when you don't get the right answer, you kind of have that, eh, I don't know if I got that right or not. It doesn't feel, I didn't get that same, you know, got it kind of feeling. And most of the time you'll find those feelings are correct and you should use those feelings to help you do more of the things that work, you know, and do less of the things that don't work. So it helps you learn by saying, well, you know, I get that good feeling every time I approach it this way. And I don't get that so much if I approach it this other way. Well, then the first way is is a better way for you. Maybe not a better way for everybody, but it's a better way for you. You can use different tools and you'll you'll know that they're being more or less effective uh, just because you get that that feeling. So there is a a sense of uh I was connected. I was really connected. And that's just intuitive. It's not logical. 
There's no logic to it at all. It's just an intuitive knowing that you got it right, that you were there, that you did that, that what you saw was what was there. And that's when, you know, and if you can kind of sense what your state is and how you got there, then do more of those. So any schoolhouse needs to be able to give you some feedback as to whether or not you're right. Now, sometimes that feedback can be like in remote viewing that you go look it up and see whether or not you were right. But you'd like to be able to get a knowledge right away because that's helpful. So, yeah, it's just the way the system is. Everybody I know of gets that same sort of thing. You kind of know when you're when it, when it's working and you know when it's not for the most part. And you just get that by practice. You don't get that when you first start. You have to do it and do it and do it. And eventually you get better and better at it because you start doing the ones that work and stop doing the ones that don't. You know the kind of state and the kind of feeling you have to have before things work. And usually, if you think about it, the ones that work are the ones when you're in a really good intuitive space. Your intellect is not involved. You're in intuitive space. You have no preconceived notions, no expectations, and you're just open. And when you get in that space, then stuff comes and you feel, got it. It's good. So it's a good thing. Yeah, keep working on it. That's a tool to help you know, you know, better, better ways of approaching from worse ways of approaching. But don't believe in it. Always stay skeptical. Okay, thank you. Hello, Tom. Hi. Yeah, my question is about uh, what you probably experiencing now when you go to sleep, like dreaming probably. So why I'm asking this question, when I go to sleep, um, like probably after five, 10 minutes, uh, I go, I wake up. Like, I feel like I was in a roller coaster. Uh, the feeling that's in your stomach, like butterflies. I kind of wake up at a couple minutes or a couple seconds. I'm aware. Basically, it's out of body, what we call out of body. But the thing is, uh, and I know what happened because I've been spending a lot of time in point consciousness. And even in that point consciousness, I'm able to see, to move around, to kind of remove viewing. But one thing, I know eventually that feeling of roller coaster, I would say, is not usual for me. My, I know my intellectual mind jumps in and says, hey, this feeling and blah, blah, blah. But I'm curious what's going to happen because my dreams changed. Now I'm in my dreams like I'm, like I'm present now, like, uh, like the same, even before if I could see the dreams, I could say, oh, it's not really me. When now it's like, when I see a gym and wake up, I can compare it with, compare it with my day like yesterday. Because I can say whatever I did yesterday and the same I'm in my dreams. The, my dreams and me, it became like one and, you know, just one. I know it's me there and me it's here. So if I would go to sleep, like you go to sleep, and what, what I think currently you're feeling the same things. You kind of wake up again, you become conscious. And do you dream or you just sleep and go and explore things? You know, I, I hope you understand my question. Because no, I feel I can like if I would sleep, because it's happened to me during the night, sometimes five times. I wake up, I wake up and sometimes I'm trying to move and, you know, I'm kind of getting too used to for that. But in some point, I know I wouldn't wake up because I, all the time I'm getting used to for that. So eventually I won't wake up. I just stand and just walk and leave my body kind of like. Well, about my own, if you're curious about my own experiences and, and what happens when when I sleep at night. Yeah. I, uh, I go through different phases and it's it's not always the same for me sometimes 
I have no dreams at all. Sometimes I just go to sleep and wake up and there's nothing in between them. Sometimes I have the opposite reaction where I'd call it, uh, uh, what, dreaming while awake. The, I may, I remain conscious all night, which might feel like I'm not sleeping at all. I'm aware the entire night. And I may do different things and go different places, but it's waking, waking dreams, if you will. I'm not necessarily in charge of all of them, but yeah, I guess waking dreams would be a good uh, metaphor for them. So you're awake, but yet you are other places and you come back here every once in a while, I guess, when you're done with, with that. And that sometimes goes all night. And I would say that I was awake all night. If anything happened, I would be aware of it. You know, even if it was a very tiny little small thing, I would be aware of it because I feel like I'm entirely awake. Um, I, I'm aware that I'm lying in a bed, you know, and whatever. Uh, but, and from time to time, I might look out my window to see the stars. I can see stars from my, from my bed. So I may look out the window, or whatever, and then my mind may go off and do something else. I let my mind generally go where it wants to go uh, rather than try to direct it for the most part, unless I really have specific things I want to do. I, I let it uh, go in its own way. So I have that where I don't sleep at all. Sometimes I sleep, lose consciousness, don't gain consciousness till the next morning when it's time to get up. Other times I don't lose consciousness at all, all night long. Um, so... Basically, Sometimes I just have ordinary dreams that are just silly kind of dreams because it's stuff that's going on in your life. So sometimes I have very ordinary sorts of dreams. Uh, occasionally, uh, you know, I'll have some tests of uh, frustration or other things where things just don't go right and you try to fix it and then it gets worse. And the right solution to that is to stop trying to fix it and uh, kind of. Go with it, understand it, rather than try to manipulate it. So I get some things like that sometimes. But I've, you know, I can remember back at a time when I was spending 20 hours a week at the lab with Bob Monroe. And that means we, I, you know, after work, I'd go home and have dinner. Then by seven o'clock, I had, I'd driven out to the lab and was in the booths and was working with Bob Monroe. After about three or four hours of that, I'd go down to Bob's house with him and chat and talk about all sorts of things, theory, you know, what, what, what things meant and so on until it was two or three o'clock in the morning, go home, get in bed about five o'clock, get up at uh, seven, go to work, go to work all day. And then after dinner, go out to Bob's, you know, and you do the same thing. So it was like, uh, getting three, four hours of sleep at most a night. Uh, had two jobs. One was studying consciousness and one was actually making a living, earning money. And I got to the point where I'd have to, I spent so much time in other reality systems that actually I'd come home from Monroe's at two or three o'clock in the morning. And then I'd spend another two or three hours still practicing the things that I had learned and the things that had happened until it was just about time to get up. And then I'd get up and go to work. There were a lot of nights that there wasn't any sleep at all. You just go from one, one job to the next. And during that time, there were times when I wasn't, you'd kind of have this feeling during a day that you weren't really sure what reality you were in. You know, I'd be at work, and I'd have to do a double take. Am I at work or am I just in a dream at work? And it was really hard to tell the difference between the two of them because they were all as real. My out-of-bodies and things were just as real as here. You know, it's not like you could look around and say, well, yeah, it looks like work because if I were dreaming, it would look like work just as well. And I'd get to the point that I'd have to stop sometimes and just, you know, do a little, where am I? <laughs> What am I doing? What day is it? You know, what, what kind of, you know, what, uh, what's going on here? What am I in the middle of? And then decide where I was. Was I in an alternate reality? Was I in the regular reality? What reality was I in and why was I there? It wasn't always obvious at the time. Usually, though, in about 
five or 10 seconds, I could figure it out. And then I came to the point that it didn't matter. What you do in reality is make choices. And by those choices, you evolve. So it didn't really matter where I was. Reality was just reality. And there were all kinds of reality in different places. And wherever you were, it was about the choices you had. What were you doing there? What were your tasks? What were your chores? Oh, I got to go sit down at a desk and write some equations to, you know, represent this system because that's what I got paid to do at work. Well, if that's what I was supposed to be doing, then I would go do it and do it the best I could. So it was that sort of thing. And after a while, it really wasn't that important exactly what reality you were in. They were all, they're all there for the same purpose. You know, it's, uh, it doesn't matter that much. You just have to be within that reality and function within it. Well, wherever you are, it's, well, what's going on here? Oh, I'm at work. All right. Let's get some work done. You know, let's write some equations. Let's do what it is I'm paid to do. Now it's time to go to lunch. All right. Let's go have lunch. Now is that because I'm just imagining that I have, or not, I'm in some other reality where I'm at work and having lunch? Maybe. Maybe not, and it doesn't really matter anymore. You just work well, and then once it didn't matter anymore, I seemed to never get confused anymore. It all seemed to, I always knew where I was. But I can remember a time, a short time in my life there where there was probably a six-month period or so that I often uh, wasn't quite sure where my, what, where, what reality I was in, and it didn't bother me. Like I say, 10 seconds or so, I could come up to it with, a, with my best guess and just go on with it. But it's like it doesn't matter. Do your best in all your realities to make good, good choices and do what, you're, do what you're supposed to do, and everything will fall into place. And then it did. After that, I didn't have that problem anymore. So I think for me, it was just a test for me to see whether or not I was going to freak out with that, whether I was going to get upset with it, whether I was going to, you know, find that, think that that was a terrible thing or whatever. How was I going to deal with the fact that I was in multiple realities for large numbers of hours every day? How was I going to process that? So that was just a, I call it a test, but it was just a point that I had to deal with all of that. And uh, I did. It didn't fluster me. I didn't get upset with it. I didn't get, uh, you know, whatever. It just, you deal with it. Deal with it in a positive way. And then it went away. That's why I say I think it was like a test, because usually when you pass tests, they just disappear. And this then just disappeared, and I kind of always knew what reality I was in, and or thought I did. You know, I guess you never really know, do you? <laughs> so, I don't know. So, my, you know, whether you're a dream or whether you're awake, it isn't really so important as the, as the choices that you make wherever it is you are. So sometimes I sleep all night without, you know, I, I lay in my bed all night without sleeping. Sometimes I sleep with unconscious and sometimes I have normal dreams and I just let it all flow however it flows and I'm good with all of it. Thank you, Tom. Okay, we have one last question from Jan P. Go ahead, please. Hello, everybody. Hello, Tom. Hi. Um, I got a question about having to intend something, letting go, and the actual need of intellect. And we earlier talked about intelligence and what it actually is. And it's like, um, it's a mul multiple layers of intelligence. And what I mean by intellect here is really intellectual process to analyze, to compare, to judge. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a discussion with a friend um, and he talked with me about a story uh, that he had where he was listening with his, um, he was listening to his grandfather for a very long period of time without thinking anything. And he told me, like, it's just um, a story that he's, he told me and I tried to interpret it and compare it with experience I have. So he listened a long time with, with, uh, to his grandfather. And at some point he felt like really relaxed and enjoyed and like Jesus state where some people interpret it as a, like a godly state where you just feel so 
peaceful and relaxed and enjoy mm -hmm. uh, just the presence. So he became he became like a voice, uh, uh, some some entity or some some consciousness that listened to a voice that he thought might tell him what to do. And I'm not sure about it, but I want to clarify this because uh, in the end, we, we discuss about the flow state and how it actually just does everything by itself when you're fearless. And mm -hmm. if you're not uh, interfere <laughs> with it and just have an, an intention in your mind and it, it does all by itself, um, you can actually see the process. It's very interesting. And we discussed because um, I always was an intuitive, but also an intellectual person. And I was analyzing all my all my behavior behaviors in the past and was looking for some uh, um, where I did fearful decisions, why I did that and interpret and and rearranged and refreshed the look of old stories I told myself. Um, now I'm in, in at the point where I just let go of it and don't really try to change it. Like just accept that I did it like that. And if old patterns come up, it's like some thoughts are just, um, some thoughts just pass and other thoughts pass with, with a fear attached to them and some some thoughts create a little bit more fear, some a little bit less. So um, where I want to go with this um, is that he said, when you're in the flow state, then you're, you don't have to intellectualize anything. You don't have to compare or judge. He was, um, he was actually getting into a hospital because they thought he, he might be crazy and got meds in the end. And that was really unfortunate. But in, in some way, I feel really it was like uh, um, um, like a lesson for him because he was really uh, extroverted with his uh, thinking that he needs to help everybody and shout at people if they are um, afraid of themselves or that he, he basically saw the ego part of every person and and thought had this belief or maybe he had the experience. I can really understand how he saw the world in some way where he just uh, sees the egoic part of all the people and just want to clarify to them and wants to be helpful. So even in a mad way, sometimes like shouting at them um, so that they are confronted with the fear. Like he was confronting the, uh, the people with their fears and he was basically, basically um, constantly in some um, blissful state where he just uh, was totally fine with everything and was, was listening to the voice. Oh, where do I want to go today? Okay, we are going this way. And he, he was like explaining that to me like this. So um, then in the end, he, as he got med med medicine, he, he, he basically lost the ability to see this blissful state, to be in that state because he, he, at some point probably lost the, the, the understanding and the intuitiveness because some fear came up. Maybe I, I, I don't, I really want to understand this because he wants to get back to this blissful state and he really tries to understand it. And I can so understand him so, so, so precisely because I went through that process, um, too, because I was just trying to figure it out and collecting all the pieces and parts. And in the end, you have to forget all everything again and just be again. And with, with that understanding somehow, with that uh, knowingness. And I think at the being level, that was the question we, we, are, uh, we, we have talked together. It's like in this being state, um, you still have intellect. And that's what I wanted to tell him. Like you have deduction skills, you can compare, you can analyze, but it, it depends on how you use your intellect and be skeptical about it. Um, and he said, no, you have to forget about it. Just poke it out of your head. And he, he knocked at my head and I was a little bit confused. And I stayed with myself and said, okay, I'm not judging it. I, I, but I don't take it as, as granted, but I thought about his thought process and wanted to know, is there really, um, 
no intellect, but but we we clarified it already, I think. Okay, let me uh, talk to several points that you made. If you know, people can be grown up in various ways and not so grown up in other ways. Um, it's not always that ever, that that all of you grows up together. So you can have somebody who's very grown up in some very specific ways and very not grown up in other ways all at the same time. So people can be a mixture. They don't have to be grown up or not grown up. They can be a crazy mixture of both of those things. When you are, you know, you have free will and you are responsible for the choices you make. You have to take full responsibility for all the choices that you make. And you have to make them for, you have to make those choices for good reason. Now, if you have a connection with a non-physical entity or non-physical beings or just a, you know, an interface with the larger conscious system or whatever, and you're getting information that's telling you what to do, I would be very skeptical about that. Because the system will not tell you what to do. That's running over your free will to make that choice. So if you get to a point that there's something saying, do this, do that, don't do the other thing, then that is not so good. Even if you're in a state of bliss and you feel like, well, you're getting directions, you know, directly from the larger conscious system or directly from God and he's telling you what to do and yours is just to obey and, and do whatever, that is not a good thing. You have to make choices of your own free will. You can't just do what something tells you to do. And eventually, if you do just do what others tell you to do, you will create problems for yourself. You will end up in some situation where you create problems for yourself, like your friend. He may indeed have seen the ego in other people, but he didn't see the ego in himself. Because the way you help other people isn't to shout at them or go up and tell them. You know, your problem is ego. See how you're doing this and this and this other person, they have ego too, and you're just in a little ego battle here, and that's your problem. That's not helpful to people. That doesn't help them at all. That's, you know, telling them things like that. It's It would be the rarest thing ever for somebody to say, oh, I do? Gee, I'll go work on that. You know? <laughs> people don't feel that way. People's like, who are you? You know, telling me something like that. I think you must be crazy. You know, you you make them feel, you make them entrench in whatever their dysfunctional behaviors. You don't help them. So you have to, you know, that's that's your ego that you feel like you can just tell people what it is they need to do. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. He may have really known that that was ego. It's not that he just imagined that. He may have had that correct, but that's not the way to help people. And if you're doing things that hurt rather than help, then that's not on the path to growing up. That's on some other path. So you have to make all your own choices. And you have to make them being aware that this is a choice and you're going to evolve or de-evolve with it. Is it helpful to people? Am I really helping other people out or is it just about me? <clears throat> you know, I'm going to I'm gonna let God guide me through my life. I'll just do whatever he tells me to do. That's not what you're here for. You're here to make choices and to grow up from those choices, to evolve or de-evolve based on the quality of the choices you make. And the quality of the choices are based on, is it helpful to others or is it just about you? Well, things can be about you. It's not that things about you are a problem. Things about you, like getting rid of your fear and making sure you, you know, you uh, don't give your free will over to anybody else and, that kind of thing. Those are about you, but those are good things. So just about you is not like a bad thing. But if everything's about you and the things that you do are to fix other people rather than mostly to fix yourself, then that's not good. That falls into some other category. And people who do those sorts of things you know, fall, I'd say, you know, probably are more delusional than real. And how they get there, there's probably lots of ways to get there. One way is you may really want to be grown up and really want to 
do these things, but you can't really take the responsibility for it. So you do them anyway, and you convince yourself that it's the higher source that's that's telling you. You know, I don't know. There's lots of ways that people can get to that. But if you're not making all your own choices and you're not aware of those choices and you're not making them purposefully to grow up, then that's a problem. So that'd be the first thing to look at. You're here to exercise free will. And you don't want anybody making your choices, and that's including the larger consciousness system. And that system will never make your choices for you. It it will help you out sometimes. It'll give you hints. It'll give you little nudges and pushes. It'll put stuff right in your face so that you can't miss it. But it won't make a choice for you. You have to reach out and get that and deal with it in a positive way. And it has to be positive for everybody, not just you. It has to be helpful, truly helpful to people. This fellow may have thought he was being helpful to people by telling them what was wrong with them, but he wasn't really being helpful because people aren't like that. And if he had enough empathy to connect with people, he would know that, that that's not really helpful to people. But without empathy, he wouldn't know. And he was all in his own head. Yeah, so it was all about him. And he was just helping out by telling them what they needed to know. But that's not right. There's a, see, so as soon as I heard that, it's like, nah, there's a disconnect there. That doesn't really fit. So you're, the idea, you know, and some religions kind of push that idea that, you know, your ideal place is to just become a tool of God and do whatever you're told, yeah. you know, and that's, that's when, you know, if you do that, you're fine. And that's not the point. The system will never get in your way. It'll always give you an opportunity to make the choice. So just doing whatever moves you is not a, is not a good way to be. You need to do what you know is right, not what somebody else tells you to be. You're lost then. You've given up your free will. Uh, and that's not a good thing. So. Don't feel like that being connected and then just going down the path and doing whatever, you know, you're told to do is the, is the path to the, you know, salvation or growing up or whatever. It's not. You have to be in charge. You have to be aware. You have to have empathy. You have to connect with people. You have to have good relationships. You have, have responsibilities. You know, you have to be connected to a lot of people. If you become the, you know, the walking prophet that just does what he's told, you you basically cut yourself off from all the things that help you to grow. You tend to be a loner. You tend to be, you know, it's all about you and you do what you're told and everybody else is just kind of out there, but you're not really connected to anything except this this source that you think is your source and to yourself. It's really more of a self-centered process than it is a connected process. And you learn here by your connections with other people. That's where the stress comes from in those relationships, dealing with those people in a profitable way. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's the hard stuff. Just following directions. That's easy, but that's not all that profitable. What's profitable is to talk to, connect with people, be helpful to people. So I don't know whether that helps or not, but that's kind of my, my take on where you were going. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was really helpful. It cleared some things up, and um, it. I don't really think about it now because, um, yeah, at, a, at that point where it was where it came in the information, and I was comparing and feeling and and looking, um, it cleared up, and then I feel like not thinking about it anymore. Is that something good? Yeah, it's it sounds good. Let things happen. You can let things happen the way they happen, but you still have to be in charge and be responsible for everything. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah. Don't give your don't give responsibility up to somebody else. You have to be responsible. That's that's the point of being here. So yes, you can have ideas come and you can pass them along and pass them on and do what you think feels right. You know, be intuitive. Yeah. But at the same time. You have to always be skeptical of yourself, of what you're doing, and is it helping? Is this really helping people? Is this really, you know, is it helping me grow up? Or am I just going through the motions here? Mm -hmm. You know, am I really changing? 
Because if you start thinking yourself as perfect already and you don't have to change and your mission is just to go out and, you know, tell other people the truth, whether they want to hear it or not, then you're not nearly as grown up as you think you are. Yeah. It's just telling other people the truth, whether they want to hear it or not, is not really a very grown up thing to to do because it doesn't help people. Yeah, to get out of the intellectual process and more into, into intuitive, like asking how can I help the other person to understand the perspective of the other person right. and then just staying in that intention and just leaving it and be, be loving. And yeah. Connect. Yes. Let, yeah. Intuitive is good, but you have to have an intellect to go with it. You know, the intuition say, well, I should do this. The intellect says, well, is that really going to help? Mm. Okay. Is that, you know, you know, so you have to, you have to have both, you know, you have to, is that really going to help? And is it going to help long-term? Am I missing anything here? You know, well, I could help this, but in the process of doing that, it might hurt something else. You have to really understand the people and their situation and not just be, I know, I know you don't here. Let me tell you the answer. That's never, that's never a good way to approach it. it you have to approach anyway. it. You, you, know, you just have to be there and you have to help them change themselves. Okay. Not by pushing on them but by giving them usually just by giving them love and giving them security so that they feel that they've, they've got enough, uh, uh, you know, kind of helps them have the gumption to reach out and do something scary, which is grow up. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you everyone for being here today. I hope we see you at the next fireside chat. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Oliver. See you again. Well, we did run out of time, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we packed okay. in what we could, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get yeah. to the rest of them next So time. long, folks. It's been great. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Appreciate everyone. It.